Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Now, we're quite excited today, aren't we, Pizzi? Absolutely. We're doing the 1968 Justice League of America, Justice Society of America crossover, team-up, extravaganza, whatever you want to call it. And it's very exciting because some of the characters that are taking part in this year's JLA-JSA crossover, we haven't seen in the podcast for a very long time. Mm. In our preparation, Pete remarked, it felt like ages since we'd seen Doctor Fate, didn't you? Absolutely, yes. Uh-huh. This is a backdoor way of giving you the roll call of the JSA members that are in this story, listeners. We last saw Doctor Fate in issue 170 of The Flash, which we covered back in June of last year. Mm-hmm. That was published in March 1967. Yeah. Our man, we saw in last year's 1967's JLA JSA team up we covered that in July yep Jay Garrick, the Golden Age Flash, we last saw in issue 173 of The Flash, which you and I covered in August. That was published in July 67. Mm-hmm. Black Canary was last seen in the 1966 JLA JSA team-up, so it's two years since we saw Black Canary. Indeed, two years, yeah. But Starman, the final member of this year's JSA cast, he's not been in a comic since Brave and Bold 62, mm-hmm. which we covered roughly at the point of recording a year ago. Uh-huh. We put that episode out in January last year. But Brave and Bold 62 came out in August 1965. <laughs> Starman's not been in a comic for nearly three years. Shocking. <laughs> mental. Mental to think about it. So anyway, now that I've told you all of the JSA members who are in the first part of this crossover, because the first part of the crossover is issue 64 of Justice League of America, published on the 13th of June 1968, Pete's going to tell us about the cover. Yes. It's got the stripped back Justice League of America logo at the top. Yes. With no shield or anything around it. It's just the words Justice League of America on it. Mm -hmm. Justice is in red, League is in white, and America is in blue. Hooray! We have a plain green background, and on either side of the logo, we have the heads of Batman on the left and Superman on the right, both smiling away. Obviously very happy not to be in this issue. Yes, so not appearing in this film. (laughs) On the cover, there's a Justice Society of America meeting happening around a table. We have Jay Garrick, Dr. Fates, Black Canary, Starman, and Our Man, as David said. But interrupting the meeting is, it looks like a giant figure. Yes. Of a robot android man with a big purple cape. He's all red and he's wearing purple gloves as well. Mm-hmm. And he says, I've come back to rejoin the Justice Society. Any objections? And with incredible whirlwind action, he's <laughs> punching straight through that meeting table. Gosh. Gosh. Very exciting. Everyone looks appalled. Yeah. In the bottom left corner, we have a banner that says, Stormy Return of the Red Tornado. And it continues, Golden Age guest stars, Black Canary, Doctor Fate, Flash, Starman, Our Man. I love the fact that the little banner looks as though it's been broken by the concussive force of, yes. of Red Tornado punching the table. It's a brilliant cover. Very dynamic. It really is. It's very, very good indeed. And this is actually a cover by Dick Dillon. So he's now taken over the, the reign of main penciler for Justice League of America. Excellent. After Mike Sikowski left. So, yeah. Thank goodness for that. And he's on it for years. Years and years and years, so... He's not literally to the death. Yeah, we have many, many Dick Dillon stories to come, listeners, so they'll, they'll all be very good. With all that preamble, should we just jump in? Let's do so. So jumping straight in, we have an opening splash panel with, as you'd expect, a bit of text at the top. And a bit of text at the top says... What a world of difference a number can make. If the locale of this story were Earth-1, you'd be looking in on a meeting of the Justice League of America. 
And Justice League of America is rendered in as Pete sort of alluded to earlier on in the traditional sort of shield style. And there's a little Carmine Infantino style hand coming out of this JLA shield, and it's pointing down to some continuing text on the left side of the page that continues and says But this is Earth 2, the counterpart of that other world where, in a secret sanctuary, has convened the Justice Society of America. Hooray! Yes, it's a great panel. The JSA relaxing. The five members who we've already told you about, Starman, Flash, Black Canary, Iron Man and Dr. Fate. Black Canary's in the stretched out in a chaise lounge. Jay's sat in a big comfy armchair with Starman standing beside him. And Iron Man and Dr. Fate, the buddies from Showcase, are sat down the front. It must point out, Jay Garrick's left forearm is coloured yellow. It is indeed. Or should I say miscoloured yellow? That's terrible. So there we go. Listeners, get your no-prize letters in. So, they'll look equally a bit relaxed and a bit bored. Starman is saying to Jay, Here we are, prime for action, and there's nothing critical on Earth to get us going. Jay says, I can't remember when things were so quiet. And a yawning black canary joins in with Jay, saying, Or so dull. At the front of the panel, almost looks as if our man and Dr. Fate are about to start arm wrestling. It does, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's great, isn't it? Our man saying, Well then, I guess it's up to your timely hour man to stir up some excitement around here, with a prediction of where and when the next major crime will occur on Earth. Dr. Fate replies, Well, what? Not even my crystal ball can do that. Interestingly, when you look at Dr. Fate's hands in that picture... It's not gloves, because you can see his fingernails. Oh, yes, that's really weird. It's like his yellow hands. Ugh. <laughs> that's quite bizarre. Has he just been sitting at home eating quavers? <laughs> Might have been. Might have been. So, <laughs> over the page then, page two. And it's a rather unusual page layout here. In the first little panel, the Flash and our man are talking. Flash is saying, You've been holding out on this hour, man? If you knew all along about a crime in the making... Oh, I don't know anything about that, Flash, as yet. But I hope to, with the help of a new computer I've been working on. Rex pulls a sheet aside, revealing a sort of databank type device, and he continues. I call it a crime caster, because it's designed to forecast crimes when fed sufficient data. Before bringing it here, I selected a 20th century museum as a possible target for a criminal strike. Now all I do is press this button and... And a weird sound effect begins. Our man says, what's that noise? Caption for the next panel. Suddenly, the sanctuary door slams open and... Yeah, a twisting and turning red whirlwind roars into the room. Black Canary says, what's that? Starman says, looks like a runaway tornado. Better use my cosmic rod to stop it from wrecking this place. Dr. Fate gestures, casts some magic lightning bolts and says, Your science may need my magic help, Starman. And then a voice comes from the twisting, turning red whirlwind. Say, what kind of reception is this for a fellow member? And the greater, largest image on this page shows the red tornado. It's a much better look of him than we get on the cover. And we can see this sort of little tornado detail on a silver belt that he's wearing. But as Pete said, there's purple gloves, purple cape. He looks very much like the Vision, actually. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it must be said with his red skin and android complexion. When did the Vision first appear, I wonder, Pizza? Issue 57 of the Avengers, but I've no idea when that was published. I know that much. So the Vision first appeared, as you said, in Avengers 57, which came out on the 8th of August, 1968. Well, that's fascinating because, as we said at the top, issue 64 of Just League of America was published on the 13th of June, 1968. A full two months before. Yes, yeah, so this personable, very human-like android <laughs> with, a, with a red face and a cape appeared two months earlier. Very interesting. So... Hmm. Red Tornado stands revealed. We can see the whirlwind around him dying down. And a tiny caption says, 
Instantly, the incredibly swift rotation of the tornado stops short, revealing... Yep, revealing the android we've just discussed, so that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) The JSA members look very surprised, and the Flash says... Fellow member, what's this big noise talking about? And Red Tornado replies... Now look, I know it's been a long time, but surely you remember me, the Red Tornado, one of the original members of the Justice Society of America... And we'll pause here quickly to tell you that with the story and art details here, story by Gardner Fox, art by Dick Dillon and Sid Green, and a caption at the bottom tells us that this story is called The, the Stormy, Stormy Return, Return of the, of Red, the Red Tornado. Tornado. And then we're straight back into the story, top of page three. Starman says, you've got to be kidding. The Red Tornado is a woman named Ma Hunkel. And our man says, besides... The Mahunkel Red Tornado made only a brief appearance in the first Justice Society adventure. And this seems like the ideal point to drop in the information about who the original Red Tornado was. The OG Red Tornado was essentially a sort of parody superhero who wore a costume of red long johns and and a helmet which was made of an upturned saucepan and was the secret identity of a lady called Abigail Hunkel, who was generally called Mahunkel. And that's obviously who Rex is referring to there. Ma first appeared as a character in Sheldon Mayer's Scribbly strip. Scribbly was almost obviously based in Sheldon, I think everyone knows that. And she debuted in All American Comics issue three, so predating um, Doctor Midnight and the Atom and Green Lantern, wow. which is wow. fascinating. The Red Tornado character first appeared in issue twenty in a story where Scribbly tells Ma about Green Lantern and she becomes Red Tornado to deal with some kidnappers. So that's, that's another superhero inspired by Green Lantern. Gosh. But inspired by Green Lantern or by Green Lantern comics? Now there's a question. <laughs> I'd have to look up the story and double check. Because <laughs> as we know, Wildcat was inspired by Green Lantern comics. Of course, yeah. Which is hilarious. So Red Tornado eventually became popular enough that she shared the billing in the Scribbly series. Mm-hmm. And that ran all the way up until issue 59 of All-American. That was around about the time that All-American and the National merged. And the original Red Tornado, as our man says, makes a cameo appearance in issue 3 of All-Star Comics. My uncle's made quite a lot of appearances in the modern told and modern set JSA stories. Mm-hmm. Famously, she's in the, the 1997 DCU holiday special, the cover date of 98, but published in 97. That excellent story about the, the JSA canteen, she turns up in that. But also, her great-granddaughter, Maxine, becomes a member of the modern Justice Society of America, yes. taking the name of Cyclone, and she first appears in issue one of the series, the relaunch series that started in 2006. And I believe her character is going to be in the Black Adam movie. That's exciting. Which, you know, is due in a few months, all being well. So, yeah, a nice bit of DC legacy nonsense going on there. The story continues in response to what our man and star man have said. Red Tornado replies, saying, Of course, but I was that Red Tornado. Our man's not having it. He says, Prove it to him, Dr. Fade. Conjure up an image of her. Show this phony what she looked like. And helpfully, in the next panel, Dr. Fate gestures with his magic lightning bolts and creates an image of the original Red Tornado. And as he does this, Dr. Fate says, There she is, the real Red Tornado, the one and only Red Tornado. And a smiling Starman says, Affectionately remembered by us as all brawn, no brain. Red Tornado continues in the next panel. Why are you doing this to me? I tell you, I am the Red Tornado and always have been. How else could I know where this secret meeting room is? How else would I know that? And over the page, there's a great full-page panel of the assembled JSAers, Dr. Fate, Flash, Starman, Black Canadian, Hourman. And Reddy's narration for this page basically is a little caption box next to each hero and Red Tornado describes who they are. So first up, Dr. Fate. 
You, Dr. Fate, lead a double life as archaeologist Kent Nelson and as an occult scientist in the witch-haunted town of Salem. That you, Flash, in civilian life at Jay Garrick, research scientist married to the former Joan Williams. While you, Starman, and your alter ego are Ted Knight, amateur astronomer. Black Canary, the former Dinah Drake, florist, now the wife of private investigator Larry Lance. Finally, our man, you are in reality Rex TikTok Tyler, chemist inventor of the Miracle Pill that gives you supercharged energy for one hour. That's a brilliant page. I've actually seen a homage to that page done by Fred Hembeck. Oh, that that'd be nice. I'll probably stick up on the socials, kids, so you can all see that. So, good good. back into the story proper on page five, Black Canary saying, Well then, since you know all about our secret identities, who are you in real life? Why, I, uh, I don't know. Our man chips in, saying, Oh, well, there's one way to find out. Remove your face mask. Maybe one of us will know you, says Dr. Fate. Retornado replies, I hope so. I captioned them for panel three. As the mask is ripped off, there is a long moment of stunned silence, broken at last by... Yeah, underneath the, the helmet or the mask, I suppose, is nothing but a blank visage. There's compl- no features whatsoever. We can't really tell who's talking around us. Someone says... He has no face. Someone else says, Then how can he talk? See? He's been communicating with us by telepathy. He must see by some form of extrasensory perception. Then the next panel, our man's crime computer makes a massive clang <laughs> sound effect. It looks so a little printout is emerging from it. Our man says, My crime caster has completed its crime prediction. Now, you must understand that it's still in a very elementary stage and may not pinpoint the exact time. Flash says, Never mind the explanations, our man. What did the caster come up with? Everyone's all standing lined up and our man's reading the printout saying, It forecasts a robbery of the 20th Century Museum. Sometime today, Canary says, If this works out, our man, you'll have made a tremendous crime-fighting breakthrough. Starman contributes, As long as the time crime could be now, we'd better rush over to the museum. Red Tornado says, I'm going with you. Prove myself to you. And Flash says, Okay, but the mystery about you isn't solved yet, Red Tornado. Not by a long shot. So we're over the page then to page six. As Earth 2's greatest superheroes race from their sanctuary. They're all flying off. Dr. Fate casting some lightning towards our man that enables him to fly. Starman is projecting from his cosmic rod, which is lifting Black Canary up into the sky, and the Flash is rushing along. Red Tornado, his legs are sort of twisting and turning underneath him, which is what's driving him along. It puts me very much in, in mind of Johnny Quick, it must be said. Mm-hmm. The Flash says, By the way, Red Tornado, just what are your superpowers? You'll see for yourself when I go into action. And then we have a caption that says, And when they close in on the museum... Our heroes are all up in the air, and as they arrive, cutting more folk down the ground. And what we see is a building with a large purple cloud of smoke coming from it, and there's a weird-looking green aeroplane hover spaceship hanging over it. And also, we can see down the ground in front of the building, there are three figures, all firing guns at the presumably on the museum building, wearing purple jumpsuits, but they, like the Red Tornado, as we've just seen, they have completely blank, featureless faces. Now, up in the air, Starman says, Great Capricorn! Krug's stealing the entire museum, turning it into atomic clouds that are drifting upward into their aircraft. Our man says, Time for me to swallow a millicrow pill. And down on the ground, the Flash makes the same observation that I just made when he says, The gang's faces, blank! Just like yours, Red Tornado. And Reddy replies, I'm not one of them, Flash, if that's what you're thinking. 
So, the story continues in the second page following. We pass a nice advertisement for a model from the movie of 2001 The Space Odyssey. Oh, nice. And, yeah, we arrive at the top of page seven. Caption of the first panel there says, As if determined to show his mettle, the Crimson Swirler is the first to attack the museum <laughs> robbings gang. I think I saw Kula Shaker playing at the Crimson Swirler in 1996. <laughs> I think I ordered a Crimson Swirler the last time I was out in a cocktail night. <laughs> Hey, listeners, if you're making a cocktail inspired by the Red Tornado and the Justice Side of America and it was called the Crimson Swirler, what would you put in that cocktail? Write in and let us know. So, a lot going on in this panel. Jay Garrick zooming in from the left, Black Canary and Starman are dropping down on the right, getting stuck into these faceless bad guys. And in the front of the panel, with his left arm twisting into the now sort of familiar Hurricane Tornado style Red Tornado's getting stuck in at the bad guys as well. As he zooms in, stage left, the Flash says, Phew, Red Tornado has beaten me to the punch. And as she drops to the ground, Black Canary says, There's still plenty left for us, Flash. But Red Tornado's thinking, Got to give a super account of myself, convince my sceptical fellow members I'm as good as any of them. Caption for panel two says, Following up his upper extremity attack, the Red Tornado whips his lower half into the lookouts of the looters. Yeah, this panel shows Red Tornado turning his legs into the sort of hurricane thing and knocking over a couple of bodies, making them drop their guns. Caption for the next panel. To one side of him, Black Canary fights in her patented style. Yep, as we see Black Canary in action, Red Tornado watches and thinks, She judoed one of them out of the fight, but she doesn't see those other two thugs behind her about to blast her with their ray guns. Sure enough, sneaking up behind the blonde bombshell, a couple more of the faceless baddies. We move on to page 8, the caption for the first panel. To think is to explode with this new, or is it old, member of the Justice Society. Yeah, this is great. I've never really seen him do this before in all the stories that I've read. No, it's unusual. What we see is Red Tornado is feet and legs, lower half basically are still regular, normal shape. And his top half has sort of broken down into the tornado effect and it's whirling forward and taking out the two bad guys that were creeping up behind Black Canary. And as he does this, Red Tornado says... Mind a bit of teamwork, Black Canary. Not when I can get results like that, Red Tornado, she replies. And in front of Black Canary, there's a burst of, looks like flames actually, and we can see at the top of this panel, because it's quite an unusual layout this page, there's almost an insert panel at the top of the, the page showing a tree branch, and there's a gun in that tree firing. However, the caption for the next panel... So intrigued is the blonde bombshell and the fighting prowess of the Crimson Cyclone that... Yeah, we see there's actually another bad guy on a roof of a building behind her, and he's firing down at Black Canary with a weird gun that's sending out little bubbles and I'm not sure if they're of energy or anything else, but Black Canary whirls, she notices him, she says, Ah, those bubbles stinging me, paralyzing my muscles. Gotta get a counter-weapon for my amulet. She reaches for her neck, undoes her necklace, behind her red tornado, notices the guy in the balcony, and he thinks... That ray, gunman on the balcony. And in the next panel, he whirls into action and says, I'll yank him down while shoving Black Canary out of the way of his falling body. Goes all whirlwindy with one arm. He knocks Black Canary out of the way. And with the other one, he unhooks <laughs> the bad guy, brings him down from the balcony. But then Black Canary falls into the path of the gun that's firing the blast from up of the tree. She screams, Aye! Red Tornado says, What? And then he thinks, I hurled Black Canary out of danger and into the path of the deadly rays shooting out of the gun that fell onto that tree. Gosh, a very complicated page. Yes, continued in second page following. So we pass an advertisement for the 80-page giant of issue 113 of Jimmy Olsen and then return to the story. Top of page 9, Black Canary's down on the ground. Red Tornado's crouching over her and he thinks, Some comeback I've made. 
My blunder killed Black Canary. The caption then for the next panel. In desperation, the Red Rotator searches the battle arena <laughs> for a way to redeem himself. The Red Rotator, did you have one of those the last time you were at the cocktail? I did lunch? actually, yeah. It was a hell of a night. <laughs> Amazing. What cranberry was drunk that night. God, you're, you're, you must have had a, the hangover of all hangovers. <laughs> yes, Red Tornado looks very pensive and he's thinking, The JSA will lose its faith in me unless... Maybe Starman can use some help up above. And we cut to a shot of Starman up in the air, firing his gravity rod at a sort of pink and purple cloud that seems to be forming into shapes. As he's firing at it, Ted is thinking, My assignment is to stop the Atomic Cloudy Museum from being drawn into the gang's getaway aircraft. Ah, the cloudy masses being transformed back into their original shapes. He continues to think in the next panel, The atomic energy in the clouds. Plus that stellar radiations of my cosmic rod have combined to animate those Egyptian god statues that were in the museum, and they're attacking me! Yeah, we see human figures with animal heads. There's a mm -hmm. cat, there's a bull, there's a lion, there's a bird, an eagle type. Not going to try and guess which Egyptian gods they might be. We are over the page to page 10, the caption of the first panel. With silent savagery, the living statues fall upon the Astral Avenger. Yeah, we see Starman being struck by the armaments, they're... Axes and their cudgels, I suppose, for want of a better way of putting it in the first panel of page 10. Starman thinks as he's embattled, My cosmic rod might as well be a common stick of wood for all the effect it has on them. Caption for the next panel. Up from below, rockets the Scarlet Swirler, rotating arms stretched ahead of the rising fury of his tornado twister body. Dick Dillon's making an immediate impression on me here. Don't know much of it's Sid Green's influence. Mm -hmm. If there's maybe a part way between Mike Sikowski and Murphy Anderson, it kind of yeah, feels a yeah, bit like. Yeah, I can definitely see that, huh? But anyway, yeah, so Red Tornado's arrived in the scene, swirling up and turning his arms all tornado-y and gathering up all the statues that were attacking Starman. Red Tornado says, I've whipped them into each other, Starman. Nice going, Red Tornado. Now to mop him up. However, the caption for the next panel. The cosmic rod wheeler darts forward, too late to heed the warning shouts of the Crimson Cyclone. With a scream of an ah, Starman is falling backwards, thinking... Awesome energies, stunning me, draining my rod of its powers, going to fall. Red Tornado, whirling around underneath, says, No, no, don't make contact. My tornadoing arms are creating a tremendous suction that'll drag you into these clouds, and... We have a change of scenery on page 11. The caption for the first panel says, Far below the plummeting, powerless Starman, the TikTok terror blasts through a wall to get at the inside the museum thieves. <laughs> I love the way that inside the museum is hyphenated there. Yes. There's a lot of the heavy lifting. Why couldn't they just have said to get at the thieves inside the museum? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe that's the name of their band, the inside the museum thieves. Maybe the letters paid by... Paid by the hyphen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, the inside the museum thieves, they supported Cooler Shaker at the Crimson Swirler <laughs> in Camden in 1996. Anyway, as our man rockets through the wall with a crash... Some of the faceless bad guys spot him. One of them cries, Our man! And his pal says, So what? He can't stop us any more than the other Justice Society big shots can. As our man leaps forward in the, the next panel, one of the bad guys continues, The boss said we we're going to pull off this robbery, and what he says has to come true. Yeah, so our man jumps forward, grabs the guns out of their hand, and as he does this, he says, I won't even need my full 60 minutes to prove you wrong. And in a daring acrobatic display in the next panel, he sort of drops the guns down to the ground, uses them for support, swings up to kick the other gun out of the bad guy with a swap sound effect. He does this, he says, an unarmed gunman is a harmless one. And then he flips himself round, back over himself, and kicks at the other two bad guys that were behind him. 
knocking him out too. And as he does that, he says, And that goes double for you two. However, there's an inset caption with an arrow pointing up that says, Watch out for falling superheroes, our man. Yeah, and we see that falling into the panel, there's a pair of hands, and in one of those hands, what looks very much like Starman's cosmic rod. So, over the page to page 12, caption for the first panel. Without the power of his cosmic rod, Starman is unable to halt his downward fall until... Yes, we're bereft of sound effects, but in a very dynamic panel, Starman lands on top of our man, basically. Oh no. Head first looks very painful, knocking them both out. Caption for the next panel. Too late to help, for all his awesome power has been used to overcome the atomic cloud creatures. The red tornado swoops over the motionless bodies. Yeah, we see Reddy arriving through the hole in the wall, basically. We see our man and Starman both out for the count. As Red Tornado flies over them, he thinks, Starman, our man, as dead as Black Canary. Everything I do backfires on me. We shift another part of the building for the next panel, with a caption that says, At this moment, inside the 20th Century Museum. Yeah, we're back with a flash. Jay rushes up and can see three more of the bad guys firing their guns at some of the stuff in the museum, and he's thinking, This museum caper has been carefully masterminded. Lookouts, a getaway aircraft, and these inside men condensing the museum and all its treasures into mists. Where'd they ever come up with such fantastic weapons? A very dynamic panel runs out page 12 as the Flash rushes forward, sending the bad guys flying like skittles, and he thinks, If I can crack one link in this chain of crime, the whole caper will fall apart. Caption them for the first panel on page 13. As one of the thieves slams to the floor, a trigger finger still activating his weapon. We can see in the background one of the bad guys climbing with a table, one of the other ones just falling face first onto the ground, and in the foreground of the panel, we see another bad guy colliding with the ground, and as the caption said, the gun in his hand goes off, firing a burst of energy at a super speed vibrating flash, and must be said, Jay looks really cool in this panel. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best yes. renditions of him I've seen since he came back. Flying down in the background of the panel, you guessed it, it's Red Tornado, and he's thinking, A blast from that dematerialization weapon hit the flash, turning his leg into an atomic cloud. Oh my gosh, that's what's happening. It's not Jay vibrating, he's been shot with a gun. Oh my goodness, the caption for the next panel. Even in one good leg, the fastest man on Earth 2 shows his speed skill. Jay keeps going, twirling his arms, a bit of dialogue from him, and he says, By whirling my arms like propellers, I can make like a human bullet. Fantastic. This looks very good. Caption for the next panel. Even as the red tornado whips a tornado arm at a gun-happy crook. I'm liking the use of Reddy's powers here. He's turning his right arm into the tornado, and it's aimed at the guy who still had the gun, who's still trying to fire at the flash. In fact, the the bad guy on the ground says, Ha-ha! By the time I'm through with you, Flash, there'll be nothing left of you. And we see the bolt from his gun has hit the Flash again. Red Tornado was thinking, Wasn't fast enough. Flash's two arms vaporised. Oh my goodness, this is going so badly. In the next panel, Red Tornado unleashes the full tornado force from his right arm, whipping the bad guy up into the air. And he thinks, That dizzy go-round will keep that faceless felon out of action. Yeah, and in the right-hand background of the final panel, page 13, we can see the Flash... He's not having a good time of it. It looks as though he's in motion, but if you look a bit closer, his left leg is fading out and both of his arms are fading out as well. As all this is happening, the Flash is thinking, Got to keep going, even on one leg. Oh my goodness. Top page 14 then. Caption of the first panel. As the hopping Flash super speeds at a thug, the red tornado thunderbolts a fist at another, and... This is crazy. Yeah, in the foreground of the panel, Reddy whirls his left arm at the tornado, punches out a bad guy, and the Flash, again, as we see with his... Both of his arms dissolving to nothing. I'm astonished he can maintain any speed at all. 
He's accelerating towards another bad guy. Red Tornado says, Flash, leave those gunmen to me. In the next panel, there's a sound effect, and God, Reddy's done it again. We see that Jay has been struck by this bolt of energy and dissolved into a mass of weird black and grey shapes. Red Tornado thinks, A stray blast from that thug I KO'd, completely dematerialising Flash. One by one, I'm killing off the Justice Society. Yeah, Reddy's standing with his head in his hands in the next panel, looking down at what's left of the Flash, and he's thinking, Maybe I'm under the control of some sinister mastermind who's forcing me to destroy the JSA. No, no, I refuse to believe I'm a pawn of anyone. I only have one chance left to make good by helping Dr. Fate in the Thieves' airship. Quick change of scenery here. The caption for the final panel, page 14, says... High above what is left of the museum, the Wonder Wizard is aptly demonstrating his mastery of the occult arts. Yeah, we see Dr. Fate confronting a few of the faceless bad guys, some of whom have guns, some of them don't. He's gesturing with his right hand, and as Pete said earlier on, how his hands just look as if they're yellow. Here there's no sign of gloves at all, it just looks like he's yeah. barehanded. Gesturing, there's some nice twinkly sparkles hovering in there in front of him. And as he's gesturing, he's thinking, A cabalistic curtain to sap the strength of this trio. And Sorcerer's Sand to jam the barrels of that duo's weapons. Yes, on the right hand of the panel there's a couple of guys coming with guns and we can see that, indeed, Dr. Fate has created some sand and thin air that's rushing towards them. So a tiny caption says, continued in third page, following! Has a couple of not very interesting advertisements to arrive at the top of page 15. And the first bad guy with a gun that's been covered in sand says, He bottled up our weapons. And his mate says, So we'll turn him into clubs! And we can see the magic sand, <laughs> for want of a better way of putting it, floating around and stuffing the barrels of their guns. The next panel, as they lunge forward, the, the caption says, Out of the shadows comes the twisting, turning Tornado Man, grimly determined that this time there shall be no blunder to counter his attack. Yes, yeah, so the bad guys are rushing forward, bearing their guns above them just as clubs to try and take out Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate gestures with his now familiar magic lightning bolt fingers, and he says, By the power of Abaddon, I call upon the awesome powers of the astral plane. Yeah, Red Tornado's arriving in the background with his arms going all tornado-y, and he thinks, Dr. Fate seems to have the situation under control, but I'll make doubly sure of it with these twin tornadoes. Yeah, unleashing his arms in the next panel, Dr. Fate continues to gesture at the bad guys, and he says, Be gone, purveyors of evil. Yeah, and there's some lightning bolt gestures and some sound effects striking the bad guys, and the twin tornadoes that Red Tornado's unleashed are firing down towards the bad guys. The caption for the final panel on page 15. The next instant, the twin tornadoes slam into the gunmen, erupting into a pulse-stunning potpourri of volcanic violence. Yes, a massive clazam sound effect here as the bad guys basically look like they fall against the wall. Red Tornado alights to the ground behind Dr. Fate. And he's thinking, The sand fate used to pack their gun barrels has been jarred loose, falling across the room like golden rain. Yeah, we can see the sand sort of billowing out across the room. As we arrive at page 16, the caption for the first panel says, As the golden sand rain drops with electrifying force upon the scarlet swirler and magic master. Yes, it hasn't gone very well. Dr. Fate looks as if he's feeling a bit dizzy, and it looks as if his gloves have returned, actually. And he's saying, Sand! Shooting bolts of eerie energy into me, nullifying my magic powers, numbing me. And a very pained Red Tornado was thinking. Paralyzing me too. This time I not only doomed Dr. Fate, but myself too. Yeah, the next panel shows Dr. Fate and Red Tornado both stretched out on the ground, looking worse for wear. The voice of one of the bad guys says, Dump the bodies out the ejection hatch. And one of the other bodies says, Then lower the ship to the ground. Pick up the rest of the gang and let's clear out of here with our loot. 
On the next panel, oh dear, it's Dr. Fayne Retornado. They've basically obviously just been kicked out <laughs> and they're falling from a great height. As this happens, one of the bad guys says, Thanks to the intervention of the Red Tornado, these Justice Society members have been utterly destroyed. <laughs> oh, an evil man. Yes, we have a pointless caption that which now says, Story continues on the next page following. The rest of this page is taken up with advertisement for Batlash, about to appear in Showcase. Can he save the West or ruin it? Batlash will arrive in the podcast eventually, don't worry. Mm-hmm. It'll be years, but we'll see him. Top of page 17 then, the caption for the first panel. Into the cool waters of a great lake plummet the inert sand-covered figures of Dr. Fate and Red Tornado. There's a massive splash sound effect. And that's what we see, Reddy and Fate <laughs> colliding with the water. The captioning for panel 2 of page 17 says, Deep beneath the surface they sink, and as the lake waters wash away the sand from their bodies, their powers slowly return. It's a very, very striking panel. Much better than some of the Justice League, the usual stuff that we've seen. The caption for panel 3 then says, And then, scant moments later, Dr. Fate climbing out the water, Red Tornado busting out the lake behind him, legs all a-twirly. Red Tornado's thinking. I've sure bungled my return as a superhero. Everything positive I tried to do turned out negative. I must get away. Think of some way to undo this mess. And the next couple of panels show him flying over land, and he's thinking throughout all this. Now that my powers have returned, I must find out who and what I really am. Got to hunt down these museum thieves. They are as faceless as I am. Maybe that's a connecting link between us. Strange. I feel myself being drawn in this direction as if a kind of homing instinct were guiding me. A change of scenery then for the final panel of page 17. A caption heralds it saying, Far ahead of the Crimson Cyclone, a bushy-haired man stands before an incredibly complex computer, hands delicately ranging over its dials and levers. Yes, we see a gentleman with a neat moustache. I wouldn't say his hair's that bushy, just back-combed. It's quite mm-hmm. a lot, I suppose. I'm just jealous. He's wearing a shirt and tie and a white lab coat, operating a couple of dials and some machinery. He's wearing my old high school tie. Is he? Yeah. Interesting. Well, it's a good thing you're doing his voice then, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could channel one of your teachers or something. That'd be quite funny. Maybe. So yes, this gentleman with a moustache says, Now I know why I had to create the Red Tornado. Without his presence at the 20th Century Museum, the Justice Society would have stopped me cold. The caption at the bottom of the page says, Who is this man? What potent powers of creation does he possess? Well, we're about to find out. Top of page 18. We have a few rippled flashback panels for the rest of this page. The caption for the first of these panels says, Some years before, Thomas Oscar Morrow, when trapped by the Flash and Green Lantern of Earth-1, hurled himself into the coils of a mighty machine. Yes, that's a great panel. That's very interesting. We see this chap in his lab coat and his Peter's school tie and his brown trousers falling into the machinery. We can see Barry Allen Flash and Hal Jordan Green Lantern standing watching him. And as this guy falls, he's thinking, Here's where I go into my prepared disappearing act, right before their eyes. And if I break myself into that other Earth I learned about by peering into the future. Yeah, we have a little asterisk which tells us that this is a flashback to Flash number 143, Trail of the False Green Lanterns. That's a great story. It is a really good story, yeah. I think I kept that one because it was a Flash Green Lantern team-up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the caption for panel 2 of page 18 says, Yes, this is that same Tio Moro who, inspired by his name, had dedicated himself to delving into the world of tomorrow. Yeah, a slightly softer ripple flashback. We see him from behind looking at a big screen and he's saying, At last, this television set enables me to see into the future. 
one hundred years and more. And there's a futuristic city and a futuristic airplane buzzing around it in the screen in front of him. We get a nice headshot of him in the next panel, and he continues saying, "A fourth-dimensional grapple beam enables me to reach into those future eras, ransack them of their greatest inventions, super weapons with which to equip my gang, a marvelous computer that accurately predicts events before they occur." And it's an inset headshot of him looking very portly. For the next panels, he narrates the rest of the flashback, and he's saying. Singling out the 20th Century Museum on Earth 2 for my first robbery, I took the precaution of checking it out. So we see another shot of him at work here, looking at a screen, and he's thinking. I fed the computer the necessary data. Will I be successful in stealing the 20th Century Museum? And the computer replies, well, the computer says no. (laughs) (laughs) The word no in big capital letters flashes up on the screen. Morrow thinks another question, the next panel. Why will I fail? And the screen replies, the Justice Society will stop you. He asks another question in the next panel. How can I thwart the efforts of the Justice Society to stop me? The computer replies, by adding another member to the Justice Society. Morrow thinks another question in the next panel. How do I accomplish that? And the screen says, by using the Humanistron to create such a member, called the Red Tornado. After suitable programming with the knowledge I have of the Justice Society, he will be allowed to team up with them. So we're at the top of page 19. It's a very moody shot of Teal Morrow at work. And he's saying, My second crime must outdo the museum theft. The archaeologists of this earth have just succeeded in raising Atlantis from the Atlantic Ocean. A massive horror sound effect kicks in behind him. And he says, What's that? And our android friend appears in the next panel. Teal Morrow exclaims, Red Tornado, still alive. I ordered you and Dr. Fate flung from the airship. How'd you ever survive that fall? And ready, whirling his legs around, says, I landed in water which washed the deadly sand off me. He flies up above Teal Morrow in the next panel, saying, You recognised me on sight, which is more than I can say for the Justice Society. What do you know about me that I don't know? And this panel already has unleashed another one of his little pocket tornadoes, shall we say, which has collided with Teal Morrow, sending Teal Morrow flying backwards into his equipment. And in the next panel, he's turned his left arm into a tornado, and he's lifted Teal Morrow up off the ground, ready saying as he does this, I'll twist and turn the truth out of you. The next panel, Teal Morrow has fallen against some equipment here. There's a big lever close to his hand, which he grabs, thinking. Can't reach the alarm system to summon my men here. But I got a break when he hurled me against these futuristic weapons. No Frankenstein monster is going to stop me. Yeah, we see at top page 20, it's actually a gun that he's grabbed. And with a gzzt, he fires it at Red Tornado's chest, saying. What Teal Morrow has created, he can destroy. Red Tornado's down on the ground in the next panel. Teal Morrow standing over him, and he says, I never bothered to give Red Tornado or the gang I created faces, and maybe I shouldn't have made him so powerful. But that's past history now, as I concentrate on stealing the long-lost treasures of Atlantis. With my future inventions, it's no trouble for me to steal anything I want. But that's the trouble. The crime becomes dull. I prefer to match my wits and weapons against super competition like the Justice Society. I need the excitement of the battle, the chase. Plus the foreknowledge that I will be successful. Very moody shot of him here. He looks like a dumpy Tony Stark, it must be said. (laughs) The caption then for panel four of page 20 says, And as he again consults the computer... Yep, it's a shot of Teal Morrow looking at his computer screen, and his computer screen bears the legend saying, Your treasure theft of Atlantis will succeed only if Red Tornado is there to try and stop you. Morrow thinks, What? Then that means I've got to bring him back to life. Caption for the next panel. 
Reversing his weapon's controls, T.O. Morrow drains future energy out of Red Tornado's body. Yeah, we see him operating the weapon, firing it already, and there's a ready surrounding a sort of pinkish halo as he's operating the equipment. T.O. Morrow says, I'll work this so he won't be fully revived till the theft of Atlantis is all but completed. As he lies there, Red Tornado is thinking, Though I haven't been able to move, I've been conscious all along. That means the JSA members I thought dead can be revived the same way. Yep, slow dissolve here. Caption for the final panel of page 20. Meanwhile, Dr. Fate has returned to headquarters with the inert Justice Society members as... Yeah, we see Dr. Fate standing and stretched out on a sort of table in front of him. We can see the bodies of Starman, Black Canary, Our Man, and the Flash. Flash's legs and arms seem to have recovered. Dr. Fate is saying, The deadly energies that killed them were washed off my body in time. And as Dr. Fate says this, coming through a doorway in the right hand of the panel, making his first appearance since last year's JLA JSA team up, it's none other than the man of a thousand talents. It's Mr. Terrific. Yay. And as he comes through the doorway, he's saying, I heard about the action at the 20th Century Museum and rushed here. What's happened to Starman, Black Canary, Our Man, and Flash? No immediate answer to Terry's questions. We arrive at the top of page 21. Instead, a caption says, While Mr. Terrific is being told the tragic details, other members of the JSA show up. And left to right, a caption tells us, in the room are, Dr. Fate, The Atom, Sandman, Green Lantern, Dr. Midnight, Hawkman, Mr. Terrific. So, some other JSA members have arrived. Tellingly, there's no sign of Wildcat and Spectre. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I wonder what they're up to. So, Dr. Fate is obviously concluding telling the new arrivals what's going on. The Atom looks very concerned. Dr. Midnight and Hawkman look very concerned. It's kind of hard to tell what the Sandman's thinking because yes. he's got his mask on, obviously. He could be asleep for all we know, is it? Yeah, for all we know. But Dr. Fate's saying... And so, I still don't know whether the Red Tornado is a superhero or supervillain. I've searched the entire Earth for him, but haven't been able to locate him. It's as if he were... dead. And Green Lantern says, Let me give it a try with my power ring. Caption them for the next panel. Out from Green Lantern's mystic ring stabs a beam of energy, and almost instantly... Cracking shot of Alan with Dr. Fate as GL fires a beam at the wall, and it's creating an image. We can see, well, very helpfully, Green Lantern says, Is that your red tornado? Dr. Fate replies, It sure is. And from the way he's handling those faceless felons, he's on our side after all. Yeah, it's a shot of Red Tornado battling some of Tio Moro's faceless bad guys. Looks like he's obviously woken up and got stuck into them. And on the other end of the panel, also watching the screen, is the Sandman. And he says, Come on, he may need our help before this is over. Caption them for the next panel. On the resurrected island of Atlantis, the Crimson Cyclone is in no need of any helping hand. Wow. Was Crimson Cyclone one of the, the names that Freddy thinks about giving Billy in the Shazam movie? It's very like that, isn't it? Don't know. You would know. It's only last week that I watched it. That's terrible. I'm fascinated by this whole return of Atlantis. I can't help but think that it should be given a little bit more emphasis in the story, but not to worry. We can tell it's Atlantis because there's some big Greco-Roman temples in the background. Some trees have managed to survive, wherever it's been. <laughs> Teal Morrow's standing at the bottom of a large flight of steps. Red Tornado is going all tornado on a bunch of the faceless bad guys, hurling some of them in the air and twirling his arms and legs all over the place and knocking them all over the place. And Tio Moro's watching this and he's thinking, My computer must have gone haywire. Red Tornado's presence here is ruining my theft of Atlantis. He's mopped up my mob and coming after me. Yeah, because in the first panel of page 22, that's exactly what he does with a scream. Tio Moro goes flying into the air. 
as Reddy unleashes a tornado from his left arm, saying, Now back to my unanswered questions. <laughs> and the next panel, he's battering Dio Moro against the top of an archway, and Red Tornado is saying, Do I have to knock the answers out of you, or... And, as this is going on, the rest of the Justice Society have arrived. We see Green Lantern and the Atom, and Mr. Terrific, Starman and Dr. Fate. Maybe Dr. Midnight stayed at home to wait for the, the postman. As they rush in, the Atom says, Nice going, Red Tornado. And Dr. Fate says, Fellow member of the Justice Society. Caption for the next panel. Exultation blossoms in the chest of the faceless superhero as he turns towards Earth 2's superheroes. That's a terrible caption. <laughs> yes. Well, this is for repetition of the, the phrase superhero there, Gardner. Terrible. So it's a shot of Reddy articulating and pontificating here, and he's saying, Well... In my own small way, I tried to undo the damage I accidentally caused at the museum. But now for the best news yet, I know how to bring Flash, our man, Black Canary, and Starman out of the radiation coma that we mistook for death. And we see in the next panel as GL and Mr. Terrific and Atom and Starman and Dr. Fate look on that Reddy is holding one of Tio Moro's guns. And he's saying... Their bodies are filled with future energy. By reversing the controls of one of these weapons, the energy is drained out, and the victim is returned to life. Final panel of page 22. It's a close-up shot of Red Tornado's hands as he activates the gun, saying, Here goes. But then, in a massive and, a frankly, amazing panel that mm -hmm. takes up most of page 23, we see the burst of energy coming out of the gun as Red Tornado activates it. There's a massive zzz-cram sound effect. And Mr. Terrific, Sandman, and Reddy himself, and the Atom, Green Lantern, and Dr. Fate are all rendered unconscious. Yep. Caption for the next panel. Later, as a day's but jubilant, Tio Morrow has recovered consciousness. Yes, we see Morrow standing over the unconscious JSA. I quite like the detail that Sandman's hat has fallen off. Yes. <laughs> Gloating, Tio Morrow is saying. <laughs> the bungling red tornado did it again. He didn't know the room was filled with future energy, and when he activated the weapon, he triggered off an energy explosion, which I was safeguarded against. But he and the JSA weren't. My computer was right after all. Red Tornado's presence here guaranteed my success. My work is finished on Earth 2, so back I go to Earth 1 to take on the Justice League. And the caption for the final panel of this story says... Soon, in Morrow's computer compound. Yep, Tio Morrow, standing looking at his computer screen, and the computer screen is reading, The only way your plan to overcome the Justice League can fail is if the Red Tornado intervenes. And Tomorrow says, An utter impossibility. The Red Tornado, along with the Justice Society, are dead. Oh my goodness, so they're not even just unconscious, they're dead. Crikey. Mm. Well, chapter one of the 68 JLA-JSA crossover concludes with a caption that says, there you have it, the prediction of T.O. Morrow's unerring computer. Don't miss the next issue of the Justice League of America to see how this fatal forecast is fulfilled. Yes, and in a dazzling break from tradition, listeners, we're not going to split the JLA-JSA team up in two, no. like we've normally done. We're going to do part two in this episode as well, because the JSA involvement is minimal, True. so we're just going to summarise most of it. Yeah. Shall we talk about part one? Let's do so. That was very exciting. I really enjoyed it. It was very exciting. No sign of a JLA at all. No. <laughs> I think that's probably why they put Superman and Batman on the cover. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, he didn't bother with that with issue 37. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember if, if a GLE popped up on that one, which is some sort of thing. I really like Dick Dillon's artwork, as I said, as a, it's kind of part way between Murphy and what Sikowski was doing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Story was fine. I mean, I mm-hmm. think not maybe quite as sophisticated as some of the stuff we've, we've kind of got used to mm-hmm. with Haney and Mike Friedrich, but it was fine. It was good. I was yeah. pleased to see as many JSA members being involved as, as ended up. That was... That was loads of folk. Yeah, it's nearly everyone. As you said, I think the Spikes and Wildcat must have been having that adventure together at the same time as this. I think they must have been, yeah. Yeah, Spectre was dealing with Wildcat's midlife crisis. Yes. So... <laughs> there you go, kids. We're asserting that this story takes place concurrently with issue three of the Spectre. There you go. There we are. But yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Interestingly, in the letter column that is printed in this issue, it's obviously referring to a previous story. Uh-huh. There's two letters from future DC writers. There's one from Martin Pascoe, right. who is basically berating Gardner Fox's style of writing. <laughs> saying he, he, he focuses too much on nostalgia and the past and basically just his plot style and, and how he, he has his own tropes that he uses. And there's another letter later on from Bob Rosakis, the answer man himself. Brilliant. He's very excited because he says Green Arrow's finally getting the lead role in a GLA adventure. Interesting. He says he's been a Green Arrow fan for 10 years. Cool. Very good, Bob. Good. Very good. But I always love it when future creators always like to highlight oh, it, yes. even when it's not in a letter column about a story that we're talking about. Yeah. It's uh, very exciting. Yes. I like that yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It gives you a nice sort of sense of the, the whole evolution of the medium. Yeah. Cracking. I'll have a bit more to say about the whole story, I think, once we've covered mm-hmm. part two as well. Yeah. It does feel a bit familiar, you know, heroes all being knocked out and a villain mm-hmm. having a plan and all being left to the other team to come in. Mm-hmm. It's fine so far. I'm enjoying that work, and my main takeaway is just how good it is to see Starman back in action. Yes. I liked when they teamed up to fly off to deal with the situation. It was Starman taking Black Canary, and it was Doctor Fate taking Our Man. Harkening yes. back to the tryout issues, that was fantastic. Absolutely. I loved that. Yeah. That was cracking. I mean, one thing that actually we should talk about, this story introducing Red Tornado. Uh-huh. What's your first memories of Red Tornado? I'm sure it was in a Dick Dillon drawn issue in probably about 170-odds, around about then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to say. I mean, the, the first time that I clearly remember him is, I think, the 1979 JLA JSA team up in issue 170 and 171, uh-huh. which we'll talk about in great detail when we get there. Oh, obviously. in huge detail. But I, re- I remember having another issue of JLA. I mean, I've got it since, and it's, it's one of the ones that I'm going to include in the Red Tornado cover gallery that mm-hmm. will support this episode on the socials. I think it's issue 176 or 179, mm-hmm. break green cover, as a little boy being threatened by a scary gargoyle monster yeah. in Red Tornado's flying down to save him. The Doctor Destiny story. Yep. That's my main sort of anchor for the mm-hmm. Red Tornado, because he's not too involved in the, the JSA jail yeah. team up. But that's my first sort of anchoring memory of him. So, yeah, he's kind of, I quite like the character, actually. I mean, I, I, it's, I think it's, it's mainly, I think it's a nostalgia for what he looks like and his, weird, mm-hmm. and his design yeah. rather than any great affection for what the character does and everything that he's, he's sort of involved in. But, you know, mm-hmm. he's someone I'm quite fond of in that regard. In the same way that I think Yellow Jacket's cool because I remember just thinking, wow, he looks amazing when I was a wee yeah. guy, you know. But then you read some of the stories about Hank Pym and you think, actually, he's not amazing. <gasps> I think he is. Well, oh, yeah, he is, obviously. The comparison with the vision obviously is something that yes. you know we should talk about a wee bit more. Yeah, I think the vision is much better served in the stories that followed and his character development. Absolutely, I think Red Tornado fell into the sad sack Red Tornado category far too often. Yes, where he felt he was always the inferior one, and there was a yes. really good story in Jerry Conway's JLA run where that was dealt with. Right, and he felt that he was like equal to everyone else, and then basically a few issues later, they just fell back into the same trope of him being yeah downbeat, down his luck, and yeah sorry for himself all the time, which is really yeah. really a bit annoying, really. 
And then, of course, we had the amazing Tio Moro comeback in issue 193, which we'll definitely be covering when we get to that. So that's very exciting. That's right about the time Ross Gordon's launched, obviously. Yep. I mean, um, Red Tornado's heavily involved in the JLA-JC team-up, the three-parter that brings back the Seven Soldiers of Victory, you know, mm-hmm. around about issue 100 of JLA, and obviously mm-hmm. we're, we're a fair bit away from that still, but even there he's still portrayed, as you say, as the, mm-hmm. the kind of helpless and hopeless. Yeah. Because Visions are much more rounded and... Indeed, developed yeah. character, even just in his first issue, you know, you know mm-hmm. with the, the tear and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Vision's another character I thought was amazing when I was a kid. <laughs> he looked unlike anything else. He was amazing. Yep. Uh, one of the things I found really interesting about this issue was the Earth 2 version of Atlantis that we saw. They did a bit mm. of digging. Yes. Because it's very different from the Earth 1 version that Aquaman's from. And obviously there's Laurie Lamaris as well in Atlantis. There's a different... There's a couple of Atlantises or cities that form Atlantis. Yes. Atlantai. Yes. Yeah. But the Earth 2 versions are quite different. Now, it seems that there's four different versions of Atlantis on Earth 2. There's the one that Aquaman's father discovered and lived there for a time. And they learned from their texts and ancient records uh, ways to live under the ocean and breathe under the ocean, which he then taught to his son. And also how to make the sun strong and swift and thrive under the ocean. So yeah, because obviously... On Earth 2, Aquaman's not Atlantean. So yeah. The second version appears in an issue of Batman. Right. About 10,000 years ago, the wise men of Atlantis looked into the future and saw not only the earthquake and tidal wave that would engulf the city, but also the wars and plagues that would visit the world thereafter. Now, the Atlanteans preferred to exclude themselves from the rest of the world, creating a dome around the city which kept the population alive under the sea. They weren't water breathers, but twice a month their machinery would create a whirlpool uh, up to the surface in order to supply them with oxygen. The Atlanteans were contacted by the Nazis during World War II, and Batman was successful in stopping them from allying with the Atlanteans. So yes, very exciting stuff. Oh, that's good. That helps. Good job, Batman. Which is quite interesting when you compare it to the Justice Society animated movie that came out. Do we have to talk about that? Well, where you had Nazis teaming up with the Atlanteans. Mm. Yeah, perhaps partially inspired by this story. We don't know. You never know. We thought about doing a whole episode about that Mm -hmm. that movie when it came out, listeners, but we decided that we both really didn't enjoy it very much. (laughs) Do an episode of us just moaning and saying that we thought it was terrible. I wouldn't say terrible. I would say um, a missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it was what we didn't like about it was how much it focused on Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor again, Mm -hmm. how Superman got to smash up the planes at the expense of the arguably more interesting and not as exposed Justice Society characters. But anyway, it was nice to see an animated Hour Man. Yes. Another version of Atlantis is... Another one? Good grief. Yeah, there's another two, actually. This appears in Wonder Woman this time. All right. Clea is the queen of an Atlantean outpost called Venturia, and she enslaved the men of her realm and amused herself by putting many to death in gladiatorial combat. Oh dear. During her rule, Clea repeatedly attacked Venturia's flourishing sister of Orania. Now, Wonder Woman later learned that the city of Atlantis was hopefully submerged by its scientists to prevent any further attacks from other nations. And finally, there's an Alan Scott Green Lantern story All right. when he was time-travelling to the year 9638 BC. Gosh. And he arrived in time to witness the sinking of Atlantis. Right. And its last ruler was Queen Atlantia. So there we are. Interesting. So we don't know which version of Atlantis this is that we're talking about. I seem to remember something to do with Atlantis in one of the, the Superman stories we did earlier on. Was it the Goliath Hercules one or was it the other one? It was uh, Superman's Greatest Feats. Right. Ah, that'd be it. One where Superman went to a parallel universe before yeah. Flash of Two Worlds happened. Yeah. So yes. Atlantis is one of those things. It was like like the Bermuda Triangle. I seem to remember an awful lot of people talking about it when I was a little boy in the late 70s and it was something I was you mm-hmm. know quite interested in. Yep. 
That's interesting. There was so many DC versions at that point, right? Shall we do the letters page for part one then? Let's jump in. Yeah, sure. So jumping forward to issue 68, and it's JLA Mail. The letter column is headed up. Very imaginative there. The first letter says, Mm -hmm. Dear Editor, well, let me take this opportunity to eat my words before proceeding. Mm -hmm. Not bad at that. (laughs) When JLA 63 came out, I immediately dashed out a note of surprise and despair. The Red Tornado, I said, they can't mean it. Furthermore, I heard you were trading for Dylan, and I was sceptical, to say the least. You allayed my fears about my uncle on page three. The old Reynard, we're obviously referring to Gardner Fox, was merely using her as a springboard to another great story, using it to begin in the nostalgia-filled aura of JSA stories, and go into an adventure mystery story which Fox does so well. As for Dick Dylan, all I can say is forgive me for doubting... My man Sid Green may have helped out a bit, but all the JSAs were drawn well and faithfully. Now that that's out of the way, comments on the annual treats. It's getting silly to keep comparing one to the other, so I'll simply judge this story alone. It was excellent, as good or better than any JLA issue in the past year. Some will complain, of course, about no JLA in their own mag. Let me be the first to make this suggestion. Give the JSA the mag for keeps. Mm. Why not? If, as I said, the JSA stories are the best and most popular of the year, why can't they continue? The Justice Leaguers all appear elsewhere. Those that don't deserve their own comics anyway, that's your problem. So why do we need them if we could have these popular characters that only appear twice a year? If you did this, you could have some issues with all the members, or some with just a single character. Then, one or two issues a year, you could have guest appearances by the Justice League of America. And that's from Gabe Eisenstein from Highland Park, Illinois. We have speculated about that self. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they give the JSA their own book? You know, not necessarily turn it over the JLA book completely yeah. over to the JSA, but you know, they could have given them. Maybe there just wasn't a demand. I mean, we had that purple patch as the crow flies a couple of years ago when they were all getting tryout books yeah. and regular guest appearances, and those days have basically stopped, as we've said. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Spectre sort of has been carrying the can, and it's been a long time. It's been years since we've seen a lot of the people. So maybe. Maybe there wasn't the support that this guy seems to think there was. So the editorial response acknowledges that there is a bit of clamour and support for, for an ongoing JSA book. The next letter we're going to do from this issue goes like this. Dear Editor, if there's any one thing that made the superhero comics published during the Golden Age outstanding, it would have to be the element of the ridiculous to be found in so many of them. With few exceptions, they were so preposterous in their very concepts that they were enjoyable. Open brackets, this idea is also referred to as camp a stigma which many have been trying until recently to attach to today's comics. That's an interesting observation. Mm-hmm. Letter continues, the same element of the ridiculous is what made the difference between the better of the JLA JSA team-ups and the worst ones. Somehow, using the Golden Age heroes in straight roles in any way other than a minor supporting role just doesn't seem proper. And in the JLA JSA stories, even fandom accepted the use of camp for the sake of a more entertaining story. In a story solely about the Justice Society, though, One would think that Gardner Fox would profusely use this ridiculous element called camp in place of the usual scientific rigmarole so common in his stories. However, the first half of the current JLA-JSA saga, although taking place in its entirety on Earth 2 and involving only the Justice Society members, might as well have been a regular JLA story in that there was such a great amount of science and a restraint in the use of camp, and that's that's fairly Mm -hmm. fair. But judging from the end of this issue's story, there is still a chance for redemption. The only way the Justice League can win against Teo Moro is with the Red Tornado's aid. Well, as you said, there was another Red Tornado, one of the most absurd characters of the Golden Age. 
It's my guess that she'll join the Justice League's fight against Teal Morrow's scientific devices in what should be, if my prediction is correct, the epitome of incongruity. And that's from Gordon Flagg Jr. Atlanta. That's a that's an interesting letter. He's saying he wants the the JSA stories to be yeah, camp and silly. Very fascinating. Interesting. We're not going to give the editorial response to that one, actually, because this is obviously a few issues after the conclusion was published. It would tell you if Gordon was right, so you'll just have to listen and find out. So this is the point, then. We're going to skip forward a month now to issue 65 of Just League of America, part two of the 1968 JLA-JSA crossover, issue 65 being published on the 25th of July, 1968. Now, we're not doing a full read-through. We're going to read about half a dozen pages from the story all in, and I'm going to summarise the rest of it, so... The story starts with a Justice League of America meeting in attendance of Superman, Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Atom, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Hawkman, Green Arrow and Snapper Carr. We're also shown that another meeting is taking place directly below in the JLA souvenir room. At this meeting are Steve Trevor, Gene Loring, Hawk Girl, Mira and Midge. Midge, who's Snapper Carr's pal. As the JLA meeting is going on, it's suddenly interrupted by the other group and then Hawk Girl kisses Hawkman. Steve kisses Wonder Woman, Gene kisses the Atom, Mira kisses Aquaman, and Midge kisses Snapper. And as the kissing takes place, there's a massive crackle of zzzzt and a burst of energy, and the leaguers that have been kissed all collapse to the ground, seemingly dead. The attackers then all fade out and disappear. And the title of the story is revealed, Teal Morrow Kills the Justice League, League today. today. So that's exciting. So, the Justice Leaguers are examining the bodies of their fallen colleagues and Green Lantern has conjured up a stethoscope from his power ring and then a voice suddenly emerges from it. The voice takes responsibility for the attack and then informs the surviving Justice League members about some cosmic created creatures who are about to attack Earth. So, Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Flash and Green Arrow then do battle with a massive dragon with kryptonite teeth and a yellow griffin that Green Lantern has a bit of trouble with and the winged man monster which kind of looks like the inverse of Batman and a bit like Man Bat mm-hmm. a little while too early. The heroes defeat the monsters through excellent teamwork, and then the monsters fade out just like the, the versions of Mira and everyone who attacked the other leaguers earlier on. The Just League returns to their souvenir room where Teal Morrow is waiting for them, and Morrow then sets some of the JLA's own trophies against them. Now, these include Amazo, a statue of Starro, Dr. Light's light-projecting machine, a diamond creature from an adventure with Felix Faust, and someone called Super Duper, who's kind of like a composite Legionnaire type figure. And they're apparently a machine-made menace. Now, I don't know the story they're from. You might know that one. I don't unfortunately. Yeah, it's from the Joe Paddy issue. Right, okay. So after fighting for a few pages, which you can probably imagine, the Justice League is defeated. And Pete and I are now going to read from page 13. So the caption then for the first panel, page 13 of issue 65 of JLA, says, Shortly in his hall of souvenirs, T.O. Morrow gloats over his prize display package. Yeah, we see T.O. Morrow standing in front of Amazo's back in a glass case and a big version of Starro. And in alcoves lined in front of him, we see Flash, Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Snapper Car, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Hawkman, and in a smaller alcove, Ray Palmer's Atom. Basically, this image is kind of the inverse of the cover. Yes. The cover which shows Teal Morrow from behind, standing with all these heroes in a, in a different order, actually, ranged <laughs> out in front of him. And as he stands in front of all the, presumably, the dead me- members of the Justice League, casting a massive shadow, he is saying, Now I have a new problem. What can I do for an encore? What will top even this? It must be something extraordinary, worthy of my extraordinary powers. 
Perhaps my computer can answer that question. The caption in for the next panel. For hours, the master villain quizzes the computer he has stolen from the future. Yep, showing on the screen as a message. You will succeed in anything you attempt, provided the red tornado does not appear to stop you. An upset Moro is saying, Bah! Always the same answer. I'll simply have to think up a world-shaking caper on my own, with the reassurance that whatever I think of will succeed, for only the red tornado can stop me, and I left him for dead on Earth too. Yes, a slow dissolve here. Final panel, page 13, has a caption that says, But is the Scarlet Swirler dead? On that other Earth at this moment, his body stirs. Now, this panel, we can see the presumed dead Dr. Fate, the presumed dead Sandman. Someone's put the Sandman's hat back on for him, kindly. <laughs> Red Tornado is between the two other heroes. He seems to be rousing. And as he wakes up, he's thinking, I, I'm alive. The future energy explosion that killed the Justice Society members didn't quite kill me. By holding onto the energy weapon when the explosion occurred, saved me. It acted like a lightning rod grounded the lethal energies. Reddy gets to his feet. In the next panel, at the top of page 14, looks down on the, the bodies of his colleagues, and he thinks to himself, I could revive the stricken members by reversing the energy in their bodies if I still had that weapon, but Morrow must have taken it from me when he left. No matter, I can get another one in his hideout. Slow dissolve. Caption for the next panel. But when he tornadoes himself to Morrow's hideaway... Yeah, we see Reddy beholding all that's in front of him, and he's thinking, It's been abandoned, the place stripped clean. Where on earth did he go? The homing instinct that originally drew me toward the machine that created me seems to have deserted me. Maybe if I concentrate... Yep, the next panel, he's got his hands up to his forehead, fingers tapping his forehead. It's a slight spark around his fingertips, and he thinks in close-up. Feel a slight drawing power, as if from some far-off distance. Got to try and follow T.O. Morrow's trail. And then the caption for the next panel says, Rotating his body with ever-increasing vibratory pulsations, the red tornado sweeps into the dark zone barrier between Earth 2 and Earth 1. Well, that's interesting. Mm. Dark zone barrier? Yeah. Could that be the dark place that the shade was kicking about in? I don't Could know. Could be. Yeah. The pre-crisis bleed. Interesting. Yeah. So as he's hurtling along in this panel, tornado was thinking, I'm on the right trail. My homing instinct is getting stronger. I'm whirling into tremendous mega-cosmic radiation, slowing me down. Caption for the final panel on page 14. As he penetrates deeper into this black interterrestrial space. A very dynamic panel here. Where he's all tornadoing from the waist down, and he's thinking... My cyclonic body being pulled in different directions. Better get through this force barrier fast, or... And as we arrive at the top of page 15, the first caption says... Suddenly, the barrier is broken, and... And Reddy has emerged, and he's in a very familiar location, and he exclaims... Morrow's hideout on another Earth. But who are these costumed figures resembling those of the Justice Society? And we can see that, sure enough, because he's in tomorrow's hideout, we see in the alcove, the Flash and Batman. So this is the Red Tornado's first encounter with the Justice League. That's quite exciting. Mm -hmm. He continues to say, But no time for that. I must find one of those energy weapons. And he's successful. He spots a whole rack of them. And then the caption for the next panel. But in his haste to reach out for a weapon, his hand brushes a tape recorder and turns it on. Oh, that's interesting. 
unexpected twist. I didn't see that coming. A scree sound effect. We see some equipment bursting into life, and Reddy thinks, What is this thing making such shrilling sounds? And the caption for the next panel says, The Red Tornado has no idea of what a tape recorder is. When he was created, T.O. Morrow gave him only the knowledge he needed to pass himself off as a Justice Society member. That's fascinating. You could play so many jokes on the Red Tornado mm-hmm. because he doesn't know what a tape recorder is. You could really take the mickey out of him. This basically is another shot of Red Tornado's hand operating some equipment here, and he thinks to himself, It has buttons on it. I'll press one. See what happens. As the wheels move in the opposite direction, the sounds start making sense. A tape recorder voice then emerges from a speaker in the final panel of page 15, and it's the voice of Tio Moro himself, saying, I am recording for posterity the manner in which I, Thomas O. Morrow, destroyed the Justice Society and Justice League. Bit of time obviously passes. The first panel, page 16, has a caption that says, And when the recording ends... And it's a shot of Red Tornado contemplating Batman and Superman. And he's holding one of T.O. Morrow's patented weapons in this panel. He's stroking his chin and thinking, So these dead ones are the superhero Justice Leaguers of this Earth? I better free them before I go back to revive the Justice Society. But wait, this future energy weapon won't work on them because that wasn't how they were overcome. He continues in the next panel. He's now looking at Hawkman and the Atom. Morrow used duplicates of their loved ones to kill five of them. I'll have to round up the originals, bring them here to reverse their kisses of death. Turn the page past the letters page for this issue. And the first caption for the first panel on page 17 says... Shortly over Midway City... Yeah, ready. Tornado Legs going on has encountered a winged figure in the air. And he says... You must be Hawk Girl. I've come here to tell you your husband Hawkman is dead. And Hawk Girl exclaims... What? Oh, no! No! Reddy continues... Dead only as far as today's science can tell, but you can bring him back to life. And the caption then for the next panel says... To Ivy Town, into the ocean, to Happy Harbour, to the nation's capital. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of montage panel here. We get a full-length shot of Red Tornado in the act of speaking to all the other people he's had to go and track down. So we see a headshot of Gene Loring, a headshot of Midge, a headshot of Steve Trevor, a good shot, a headshot of Mira, who actually looks like she's underwater. Mm-hmm. That's quite interesting. I would like to have seen that conversation. And amongst this montage, Red Tornado is saying, Morrow filled your duplicates with future energy, which enabled them to kill your loved ones. But by filling you with that energy in reverse, you can revive them. And so, caption for the next panel. Shortly in Tio Morrow's Mammoth Memento Chamber. Mammoth Memento Chamber would be a good name for a band that could have supported menswear. Indeed, yes. I would love to have a Mammoth Memento Chamber. I bet you would. <laughs> I could do it on myself, actually. My DC Comics hardcovers are about to spill out the, the currently allocated space. It's horrendous. So, yes, back in the, the Mammoth Memento Chamber, we can see the, the bodies of Atom and Hawkman. Mira and Hawkgirl are in the room as well. Red Tornado is saying, Now give them the kiss of life. And Mira says, We'll do anything you say to save those we love. And in the next panel, gosh, <laughs> it's about as steamy as it's ever got. We see Midge planting one on Snapper Car. We see Steve Trevor and Wonder Woman smooching and Mira and Aquaman canoodling and Hawkman and Hot Girl embracing. And very oddly, Gene Loring <laughs> lifting up the minuscule, tiny Ray Palmer atom to smooch and give him a big kiss. And as all this is going on, Red Tornado 
like a pair of his watching and thinking, I wonder, what is this thing called love? Like so many other things on Earth, I know nothing about it. That panel is definitely going on the socials. Without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> Over the page then to page 18, and the caption for the first panel says, And after the Red Tornado explains to the revived Justice Leaguers. And this panel shows Reddy in conversation with Hawkman, Atom, Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor looks as though he's actually checking out Wonder Woman's backside. Of course he is. Such a sleaze. Red Tornado is saying, I can't free the others because Morrow didn't use an energy weapon on them. We must find him, compel him to set them free. Hawkman replies, But where is he? If Superman were alive, you could find him with his telescopic vision. And the Atom says, Or Green Lantern with his power ring. And Wonder Woman adds, Wonder Woman is definitely being eyeballed by, by Trevor. There's only one thing to do. Go to Earth 2, free the Justice Society members to help us track down Morrow. So, the next panel's pretty exciting. Reddy takes to the air, turning his legs into the tornadoes and whirling the Justice League members along behind him. As he flies off, he's saying, I'll set up vibrator impulses, gather you inside my tornado vortex, and take you along with me through the dark buffer zone between Earths. Yep, and we see Jean Loring and Hawkgirl waving them off. Now, I want to know why Hawkgirl didn't go along. Frankly. Good point. But as they wave them off, Gene Loring is saying, Good luck, Atom. I'm sure my fiance Ray Palmer will understand my kissing you was for a good cause. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hot Girl says, We'll be waiting for your safe return. So, caption for the next panel. But when they cross the Between Earths zone... Yeah, it's very different from the last time. It looks like there's a big sun in front of them, frankly. Mm-hmm. Reddy remarks, that's odd. The dark zone has become as bright as day. And Hawkman says, It's been lit up by that atomic sun. How? My womanly intuition tells me the answer has something to do with Tio Morrow, contributes the Amazon. And then Aquaman says, Let's stop here and find out. Okay, so, caption for the next panel. And sure enough, some distance away, the object of their search is shouting with glee. Yep, a shot of Tio Morrow, standing with his blank-faced, purple-outfitted pals, and there's what looks like a giant satellite radar dish on top of a bit of machinery, on top of a cliff in front of him. The bad guys are standing with their guns, and Morrow is saying, I've done it! I've come up with a doom to outdo my double triumph over the Justice Society and Justice League! Over the page then to page 19, Morrow continues, It'll be the most sensational, the most awesome, the most destructive villainy ever perpetrated! I'm going to cause a war between Earths 1 and 2. Have them annihilate each other. Even now, my device is beaming energy rays into both worlds, affecting the minds of their inhabitants, stirring them up to a war fever. At the right moment, I'll rip open the barrier between the two Earths, allowing them to attack each other to their mutual destruction, while I enjoy myself here in complete comfort and safety. Good panel this, showing Morrow standing with his hands held high in silhouette against the, this atomic sun that Hawkman spotted. A war between the Earths. That's an amazing idea. Yep. Oh, mm, well, in the next panel, Morrow continues. Then it's off to new worlds to conquer. But then, twirling down, well, Morrow tells us. Eh? The Red Tornado, here. But I left him for dead on Earth too. Red Tornado bearing Aquaman and Snapper and the Atom behind him and Wonder Woman and Hawkman flying down of their own accord beside. The caption for the next panel. As Wonder Woman strikes the first blow for peace over two worlds. Yep, she collides with some rocks and sends some bad guys flying. Tio Moro goes running in the background saying, 
My computer foretold that if the Red Tornado showed up, I'd be defeated. Got to get out of here before he and those Justice Leaguers capture me. So, you won't be surprised to learn, listeners, that there's a bit of a fight for the next couple of pages. And indeed, Red Tornado and the revived Justice Leaguers battle tomorrow and his faceless felons and successfully defeat them. Hooray! <laughs> so to save us reading those pages, that's a little summary. We now return. The final panel of page 21 shows Wonder Woman destroying the aforementioned big radar satellite dish that was going to stir up everyone's moods on the two Earths. And as she rips apart the machinery, Wonder Woman is thinking, Where's Morrow? Our victory here doesn't mean a thing if he's still on the loose. And so, as we arrive at the top of page 22, the caption for the first panel says, Not on the loose, Wonder Woman, but in the grip of the Red Tornado. Ready, up in the air, twirling his bottom half, with Morrow caught up in the vortex underneath him, Ready saying, now tell me about myself, why you created me. And Tio Moro says, My unerring computer told me I needed a red tornado to foist off as a member of the Justice Society. So I created you with a Humanistron machine. But I didn't give you a real face or a real identity. You're a nobody. Wow. Well, the next panel shows Moro looking very sorry for himself, having his arms held behind him by Hawkman and Aquaman. The caption for this panel says, a wave of despair sweeps through the red tornado in the midst of the triumphal celebration. Hawkman is saying, Let's go, Morrow. You're going to revive the other JLA members, by force if necessary. Ready is thinking, I'm not a human being, I'm a machine. And then the caption for the next panel. In Morrow's souvenir room, as the future energy is drawn from the remaining Justice Leaguers. We see Ready with the, the magic gun in his hands and Flash and Batman, Superman... Green Lantern and Green Arrow all recovering and Reddy looking very sad it must be said for a for a machine is thinking now that my task here has been completed I must return to my Earth and the Justice Society on Earth too soon afterward and we see Reddy operating the, the future energy gun and the Flash and Doctor Fate and the Green Lantern of Earth 2 and Our Man and Black Canary all recovering getting back to normal as he operates the gun Ready is thinking. They're alive, which is more than I can say for myself. We arrive at top page 23. The revived heroes are all standing there. There's nothing to actually show them fixing Mr. Terrific <laughs> or the Atom or no. Dr. Midnight. Presumably they're just off camera at this point. We hope so. <laughs> no sign of Starman either. But the Flash is saying. The question before us now is, what are we going to do about the Red Tornado? Dr. Fate contributes. He came through with flying colours, so... I nominate him for full membership in the Justice Society. And Reddy says, Thank you. I am honoured, but I want something more out of life than that. I want to be somebody. I want a face, an identity I can call my own. And then a very moody, dramatic... He looks very much like the vision in this panel, it must be said. Mm -hmm. Reddy concludes the story by saying, I want a personality, emotions, a home... I want to put down roots to belong. Somewhere in this wide, wide world there has to be a place for me. And we have a concluding caption of the 68 JLAJC team-up that says, Will the Red Tornado, product of a machine, achieve his goal? Can he live as a human being, or is he fated to exist only as a superhumanoid? If you would like to see further adventures of the Red Tornado in his quest for a place in the sun... Please write and tell us so. Spoiler, we will see Reddy again in next year's GLA GSAT. He actually rocks up the issue before it, but anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there in, in due time. So, the end. Indeed. Yeah, a lot of fun. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not as much of a fan of the the game of two halves this time, I and mean, we only we only yeah. summarised obviously this half. It would have been nice if the GSA had been a little bit more involved in the spread across the story. The Justice League fight wasn't hugely exciting. D- How did that beast get kryptonite teeth? That's what I want to know. I know, I know. <laughs> it's a mystery. Mm. As we said in our preparation conversations and stuff, I think, mm-hmm. and obviously there was a bit of criticism when, of Gardner Fox in one of the letters we read after part one. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a throwback mm-hmm. compared to some of the sophisticated stories we've had in the Spectre, that Teen Titans stuff that we were doing, yeah, we did uh-huh. last week, you know, they were light years ahead. This felt yeah. very much like reading a, a kid's comic again. Yeah, definitely, definitely. This is very near the end of Gardner Fox's tenure. Denny O'Neill's taking over the writing duties very mm-hmm. soon. Uh, and there yeah. is a massive change in tone when he does so. It's uh, really interesting. Yeah. Can't wait to jump into some of those stories. So yeah. One thing I thought was really cool mm-hmm. was that in his first appearance, Red Tornado is able to navigate his way between Earth 1 and Earth 2 like straight away. Yes. Yes, that's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. The power of whirlwinds because we've given this vibratory power. Yeah. That he can he can do that. So we can add, add that, that to, to the, the list of Add that to the list. <laughs> all the ways you can travel. Obviously there yeah. are developments with Red Tornado's origin later on, so we don't know how that mm. affects things. I don't remember that ever coming up again. It's fascinating. I mean I love the fact that Snapper Car and Aquaman were just sort of dragged along and I know. Is that the first instance that they might have crossed between Earths? Because we haven't seen Aquaman in one of the crossovers for a long time. True. No, I don't think he's been on Earth 2 at all. Mm-hmm. That was quite interesting. And mm-hmm. that whole special dark zone that Tio Moro was working in the middle, that was quite interesting. I mean, that was maybe, we'd have talked a little bit more about that if we'd done the full story, but probably not, actually, I think about it. It was certainly mm-hmm. a surprise that he was able to do that straight away, and he seemed to know to do it straight away. I wonder if when Aquaman arrived on Earth 2, he heard that Atlantis had been raised, and he went, what? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's another really interesting point. Mm. Yeah. I bet Gardner didn't even think about it. Oh, well. That's terrible. Shall we jump into the letters then for part two? Let's do so. I had a major nitpick with this story, but the first letter writer actually asks it. Oh, excellent. Good. So, into the JLA mailroom from issue 69. The first letter says, Dear Editor, Gartner Fox, as the saying goes, has done it again. Tio Morrow kills the Justice League today was an excellent second half to what had begun as an only moderately exciting JLA JSA team up. Well, we disagree there. It is everything, especially an ingredient that usually clutters, but in this case serves to interest. Characters. There were masses of them, spilling out over the pages and, praise be to plotting, never getting confused. First of all, the GLA was at nearly full strength. The only missing member was John Johns, the Martian Manhunter. Oh yes, an honorary member, Metamorpho, who has evidently joined John Johns in Comic Oblivion. Dinaro was present. He even did things. And Aquaman showed himself once or thrice too. Best of all, Snapper Carr made a comeback. And not as any high school kid either. He's a sophomore in college by this time. I was glad to see that Flash, Green Lantern and Batman didn't hog the action. Secondly, Colonel Steve Trevor, Jean Loring, Hawk Girl, Midge and Mira popped out of nowhere. And I must say that Miss Loring and Mira were drawn a lot better by the Dylan Green team than by their own artists. Now, hang on. No, because you get Nick Hardy on Aquaman at this time, so no, I disagree on that. They gave a badly needed individualism to our heroes and heroine. Aquaman's faintly disturbed expression when he glimpsed his wife bouncing into the JLA sanctuary was priceless. Somehow one never thinks of the Sea King as having emotions. There was one flaw, however. Atom ought to have been instantly suspicious when Jean Loring traipsed in. After all, she <laughs> has no interest in his costumed alter ego whatsoever. But such are the ways of love. Then, there was Tio Moro and his faceless cohorts. 
I like Moro because he was a blah villain who came to a blah supposedly end in his first appearance. I entirely disagree with that. His first appearance was fantastic. I think he's a fascinating villain. Yeah. His Trail of the False Green Lanterns, is that when he first appeared? Yeah, huh? that's his first appearance. Oh, really? He only had one oh, appearance well. before this, yeah. Ah, I didn't realise that. Yeah. That's okay, that's cool. Right. So we go. To see him right up there with Dr. Light and the other big shot types fills my Horatio Algarish mind with contentment. He brought back more characters in his wake. Amazo, the Diamond Thing. Starro the Conqueror, Doc Light, <laughs> and Super Duper. Now, this is the bit I was going to mention. Right. Now, I don't like to point out a second flaw, but said diamond thing was converted to coal ages ago. Super Duper faced out of existence when the machine that created it was destroyed, and Starro was turned into a little starfish by Green Lantern. So, futuristic science or no, Tio Moro could never have brought them to life. But they were statues, were they not? We'll get to this in the answer. Yeah. Oh, right, okay, well, right. Not necessarily. Amazo probably wasn't, so yeah. Okay, right. Now we reach the Justice Society, all of whose members appeared at the very, very end. Red Tornado, good gentleman, is the greatest character since Adam Strange. You must keep him. Or is it it? Twirling. And not just once a year. Half Green Lantern, give him it. A face, put him it into Earth One and don't neglect him it. As everyone else in the world's trying to find himself, it'll be a switch having a superhero do it. And that's from Rand B. Lee, who we've heard from before, from Roxbury, Connecticut. And the response to that then is, isn't it conceivable that Morrow, with his knowledge of the future, could have reactivated those villains as they were at the height of their powers? As for the Red Tornado, readers voted 5-1 to one in favour of his its continuance. Turn to the extra page in this issue for Reaction Red Tornado. I just read them as being super duper and all that, as just being like models they had in the trophy room that he, he brought to life. May well be. I think Amazo was definitely the original, because they could keep an eye on it. That's a, a bit dangerous, having the original Amazo lying around, isn't it? Well, at least they can keep an eye on him. That's it. <laughs> mm, well, mm. we'll see. I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> they, should have taken, they should have dismantled him and sent him to the scrappy, if you ask me. That's all Amazo wants. I'll read the next letter. It's also from Gordon Flagg, whose letter we read out when we covered the last issue. Dear Editor, I guessed wrong when I predicted that the Red Tornado who would save the Justice League and the Justice Society in JLA 65 would be the original Golden Age Mahunkle Red Tornado. I'm sorry that my prediction was wrong, too, because I think that my version would have been a lot better and a lot more fun than the one Gardner Fox presented to us. Gosh. I agree. That would have been <laughs> hilarious if she just turned up and switched off Tio Morrow's machine or something, <laughs> or spilt something over it, you know. The letter continues... It's just that I didn't expect Fox to resort to the hackneyed, he's not really quite dead excuse, to revive the, the Red Tornado, especially after John Broom had done a much better job of it in Green Lantern Lives Again in issue 47 of Green Lantern. Since the Red Tornado was not an essential character, I was hoping that for once in a DC comic, someone would really die, permanently, open brackets. Even if the death was actually that, though, I'd probably expect Old Red to be resurrected in a future issue. <laughs> in typical DC fashion. Well, that's a bit of heavily anticipated foreshadowing. <laughs> I hope that Gordon got a credit for that idea. Anyway, spoilers for two or three years' time. Oh well, at least this way Fox saved what could be a potentially interesting character. Interesting, that is, if you can figure out a way to utilise the character without going the same guest appearance route you used for Zatanna. The artwork in this issue was, for a change, a definite plus factor. Yay. The placement of Dick Dillon on the penciling chores has done more to help the art than any of the previous changes you've tried on the strip. At one time, it was not possible to read a JLA story without becoming bogged down by the stiff, lifeless drawings. Glad to say the art is no longer a deterrent, and I'm sure nobody will complain if you retain Dillon as a permanent JLA penciler. And again, as we say, Gordon Flagg, Atlanta. And editorial response for that one says... 
If you're willing, Dylan's willing. Mm. There we go, editor. So the next letter then says, Dear Editor, I'm not the type that likes to cut an editor down whenever he puts out a bad issue, but the latest JLA JSC saga was the worst Earth 1-2 story that I've ever read, and I've read five so far. Gosh. Well, you should listen to our podcast, mate, and you can hear the rest of them. <laughs> Let's see why I think about the story this way by reviewing the parts needed for a good story. The art, it was terrific. The villain, Tio Moro, was great. But the way he used the souvenirs to defeat the JLA was even greater. The plot, very good too. So what was wrong about the story? Ah, now I have it. It was the way you used the heroes. This year, as every year, I was looking forward to team-ups between the Justice League and Justice Society. Where were they? In the first part, there wasn't even one panel with the JLA. And in the second part, there were only two panels with the Justice Society. Good, that isn't. And that's from Mike Rotonshi, I think that says, Troy, New York. And the editor response is... Well, better team-up luck next year. It's a fair point, to be honest, isn't it? I mean, I think that's why I enjoyed the Antimatter Man story, was yeah. because everyone mm-hmm. teamed up and they were all sort of scattered around and mixed up with each other. But at least it's mixing up the plots a bit, you know, because if he did this every single time, then it would get very boring. So changing it around, it's quite good. Yeah, that's very true. And, and it's an interesting idea that one team starts off the thingy and then the other one deals with it. I mean, to be fair, that is good. Mm-hmm. I think that the main fundamental thing is the heroes didn't really meet. Reddy was the only guy yeah. that crossed between the teams. True. And that's interesting, but it would have been nice if they'd all had a conversation. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to see, I don't know, Green Arrow talking to Sandman or something just for the sake of it. Yeah. As the editor said, there's a whole extra page reaction red tornado, just seeing what people thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first one's from one of our regular letter writers, uh, Joe Arrell from New York, New York. And he says, In response to the trial appearance of Red Tornado in issues 64 to 65 of the Justice League, I vote most affirmatively in his favour. There are several reasons why I believe his would be a successful magazine. First, he is a unique superhero, because he is not a human being, but a superpowered advanced robot, in contrast to Robot Man of the Doom Patrol, who has a human brain. Secondly, there is a human angle which offers great possibilities, namely Red Tornado's quest for a human identity. Thirdly, his costume is very good. It's been some time since we've had a superhero with a cape. In addition, his vortex power is somewhat offbeat. <laughs> And by contrast, the next letter, which is from Barry Oaken from Freeport, New York, Barry says, The Red Tornado's powers are terrible, but it doesn't matter. He has a real identity problem. This hero is what most of the heroes lack, built-in problems, personality, and a sort of inhuman humanization. He almost symbolizes the problem of our society. Everyone is lost in a field of dehumanization, yet tragically searching for his identity, his place in the sun, as you put it. The Red Tornado is the Charlie Brown of National Comicsdom. Wow, that's interesting. Is that the first mention of the, the cast of Peanuts in this podcast? Maybe, maybe. Did we talk about Snoopy and the Red Baron when we did B&B 72? We probably did. I maybe, don't know. Anyways, yeah. who knows? Maybe one of our listeners knows. <laughs> maybe <laughs> you could go back and check. <laughs> do you think that the Red Tornado is an attempt to do a Marvel-type character in DC? That's an interesting conjecture, yeah. You know, given that he's, for lack of a better word, angsty, you know. Yes. No, yeah, I know what you mean. It seems to be that's very much like a, a Marvel trait. And obviously, you know, this was done just before Marvel did it probably more effectively with, the, as we've mentioned before, the Vision. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's something kind of zeitgeisty about that at this time. Yeah. He does feel very kind of in the Marvel trend. Yeah, no, exactly what you mean. Yeah, because a lot of the DC guys, in fact, most of the DC guys have never really had that Mm-hmm. That angsty, sort of existential doubt thing going on that's yeah. in all the best Marvel superheroes practically right from the word go. I mean, it defines Spider-Man, it's a huge part of the Hulk, and the, mm-hmm. 
and the things make up, you know, Iron Man with his bit of shrapnel in his heart and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. The DC guys are always kind of, bland is the wrong word, they're always a bit sort of unbeatable and yeah. they always bounce back. There's, it's a long time before DC really gets into proper character depth. They're probably in the pages yeah. of The Flash or The Legion of Superheroes really where it sort of starts. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting point, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a concerted attempt to do a Marvel-style character, especially yeah. seeing as it was Gardner, mm-hmm. who's obviously very retro in his storytelling styles. But it was certainly by accident, maybe rather than design, it feels very much like a Marvel character. That's yeah. a good point. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating that he's appearing so close to the vision. It's almost like when the X-Men and the Doom Patrol appeared very closely together. Yes. Uh-huh. Ah, a bit of foreshadowing there, listeners. And when Swamp Thing and Man Thing appeared pretty much at the same time as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Every now and then there's something in the water. Yeah, that's the only word for it, I think, really. Yeah. yeah. The rest of that letter column is mostly taken up with people saying, yes, we like Red Tornado. Yes, we like Red Tornado. My vote is three cheers. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> My brother and I enjoyed Red Tornado. Give him his own mag. He's kind of cute. Yeah, everyone's pretty positive about Red Tornado. So there we are. And as we say, he will be back before too long and he's going to pop up in a couple of JLA, JSA crossovers. He becomes a regular member of the Just League of America, is there for for most of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And we will see him again. I'm going to put a dedicated Red Tornado gallery on the socials this week. We're attempting to document some of his storied career mm-hmm. in the subsequent years. So yeah, look out for those. Indeed. And you can find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at The Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter at podcast underscore Earth 2. And it's the number two for all our social media. You can also write to us and tell us what you think about Red Tornado or what you think about this extra long episode we were giving you today. (laughs) (laughs) You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com and you can find this and all our previous episodes on our website and that's theearth2podcast.com. And if you could be so kind as to go to your respective podcast provider and give us a positive five-star review, I'm told that that sort of thing is very good for us, so that would be kind as well. And if you're feeling super kind and generous, you can go to our coffee page and buy us the price of a comic. That would be lovely. That would be fantastic. So, Red Tornado, we will see him again. But we'll get something totally different next week, so make sure you tune in then. But until then, I've been Peter. And I've been David. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on... The Earth 2 Podcast! Plans Matter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime! Yes, this is the... Yes! Yes! Sorry, I'm going all close to London now. Uh, <laughs> yes!